welcome back to the Life Support Podcast, and thanks for listening. Before we get started, just a quick reminder to hit that subscribe button. Also, like us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and whatever social media you use today. Our guest is Elke Shaw Tullock, and we are so excited to be talking to her about the state COVID-19 response, lessons learned, and generally the role of public health in the midst of such pressure. She is coming to us as the Idaho State Public Health Official, and I learned that she's actually the longest reigning, I I don't know, not monarchy, but (laughs) the longest serving state public health official in the country now. So we're honored to have some of her time and thank you all for joining in to listen this week. Well, first things first, can you please introduce yourself and here at See Who that's name, pronouns, location, first what you do when you're not working and what you do when you are working? Absolutely. So my name is Elke Shaw Tulek and I'm the state health official for Idaho, also the administrator for the Division of Public Health in the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare. And my pronouns are she and her. And when I'm not working, I mostly enjoy being around my family. I have two kids, 24 and 20. I'm married. I have lots of other extended family that live here in the Treasure Valley. So I'm located in Boise. That's my home base for work. Although we look, we serve the whole state of Idaho. In my free time, I like anything that's sort of fitness related, outdoor related. I'm currently enjoying lots of hikes. I'm getting ready to hike Mount Bora at the end of the summer. And so also been enjoying doing quite a bit of paddleboarding. Love it. I know I've heard tell of some Elkie sightings over at the Whitewater Park, too. So <laughs> oh, yeah. it's great to be able to get out, especially on these hot days. Well, yes. thank you again for being with us today. And it seems like we're maybe catching you in an interesting time, which probably it's always interesting in state public health. But especially as the public health emergency declaration related to COVID-19 is coming to a close, it's, it's recently ended. What does that really mean for you and your teams in the state of Idaho? Well, we get asked that question a lot, actually. And while the emergency declaration piece of it has ended, we have essentially incorporated response and kind of the the after effects of response into our daily routine. So we're still providing data. We're still receiving cases of COVID that are being identified in the state. We're still supporting testing across the state. And I can dive deeper into each of these different activities. We're still making sure that vaccines are available across the state. We're still supporting hospitals and healthcare. But at the same time, we sort of launched back into all the work that we had to kind of ignore for the last three or four years and do all that on top of. So it's not the same frenzied kind of harried pace that we had during the height of the pandemic. Right now, we're really focusing on what are those core things that we need to be focused on to maintain our capabilities should COVID really resurge in the way that we saw it before and maintaining some level of status quo, building into regular work streams. But I would say like the, the number one most important thing that I'm focused on right now is my workforce. And I know that the local public health districts are, are doing the same. I was telling someone that unlike Unlike the healthcare industry, where you really saw throughout the course of the pandemic, there was a lot of our healthcare heroes and really kind of propping up our healthcare workforce and the demands that they were facing. It wasn't really the same, I guess, acknowledgement of what public health staff were doing and the this long, crazy hours that people were putting in, 
the stress and strain on people. I know several of us, we never left the office. And but yet, you know, our kids are at home, our families are at home, and we're, you know, here just really sort of in the trenches and doing that work and and trying to trying to adapt to all the same things everybody else was in life, but also trying to make sure that we were bringing in all the resources for the pandemic and supporting the pandemic response in every way that we could. So my my priorities now are really, even though the, the declaration is over, we've got a lot of healing to do, a lot of, we're using the word trauma, but a lot of kind of trauma and trauma reactions now that people are having, kind of trying to move back into a little bit of normalcy and normalize the support that we're giving to ongoing COVID efforts, because we do still have cases of COVID. Absolutely. Well, I, I so appreciate you bringing that up and just thinking about the public health workforce. You know, I near and dear to my heart, definitely. And I remember having some exchanges with the public health directors kind of in the midst of it. And absolutely in terms of the stress and the strain. And I, I want to say I remember looking at some news publications where local, local public health officials, it was like a 50% turnover rate about 10 months into it. And I think it's just pointing to the stress that local public health and state public health were under during that time and probably still are experiencing and like you said, processing. But it sounds like maybe you're able to come into this space of doing some of that like reflection and rebuilding. As you're going through that, what are some of those big lessons that you see as takeaways coming out of that most intense phase of the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, for me, really, some of the biggest lessons were the amount of resiliency that like just having an awareness of the amount of resiliency that people really have. We were able to, as I think as a society, adapt to some some new and creative ways of operating businesses and taking care of each other and supporting one another. I mean, there was definitely all the polarities that happened. And some people were, you know, we have people on different extremes of you're not doing enough <laughs> to support the pandemic and you need to shut everything down and hold everything as tight as possible. So there's absolutely no exposures to the others saying it's it's not a big deal. It's no worse than the flu. You're dramatizing this. There's no science behind this. And we saw that whole spectrum. And I felt like from some, from some of the lessons learned, we, we kept our focus really on that, that middle ground, following the science that we knew at the time. Things changed over time. So we learned about you know, being, being flexible, being resilient, being adaptable, because the, what we were learning about this novel virus is that it changed how we had to react to it changed. And so when I think about the biggest lessons learned is how, how to operate in, in a way that keeps you unstuck, I guess, from your normal paradigm of doing work. And, and kind of to translate that into the general community, not just what we're doing in, in public health, but we saw in, you know, in healthcare, we had all of a sudden this, this massive increase in telehealth opportunities around the state, which is huge to me. And that's like a, a giant legacy that we'll be able to maintain and and being able to bring healthcare to so many more people across the state. We saw technology changes and we, you know, that teachers can teach from a remote setting, not necessarily ideal for all kids, but for some kids, it really will provide something that will be helpful and supportive of them moving forward or create even a whole new ways of learning in the future. Businesses were 
learning how to adapt and change and not have to have necessarily a physical location. So I think just all of those different kind of cool new opportunities that, that it posed, I think will really bring us a lot of benefit in the future. But some of the, I guess the my lessons learned is that you can't ever communicate enough. I'll add that to it, kind of on the, the more negative side. I felt like we, you know, we tried our best to communicate as often as we could, answer everyone's questions to the best of our ability, but there wasn't, it wasn't always time. There wasn't always the place to do it. And there's a lot of things to, to consider that other lessons are in. We, our workforce is way too small in public health. I mean, we had, I think, in the course of the pandemic, at least at state public health, we only had about, you know, 30 new people that joined our workforce. And some other states were getting 80 to 100 people just within one program, per se. So we were able to bring on, you know, a large contractor to help us do some of that work and help with the the project management of things. But we relied very, very heavily on our partners. And I think kind of swing it back over to the positive side, it built some really strong, good relationships. Like public health built a really great relationship with healthcare and we became sort of this trusted source for them and and were able to help support them in their day-to-day business that we'd never had before. And we still maintain, you know, calls with hospitals across the state on a regular basis, help them with some of their patient transfer needs and more kind of critical needs we're working a lot on kind of workforce at large, not just healthcare workforce shortages, but also just kind of in general workforce. And as an agency, we've been starting to participate in a lot more workforce teams, if you will, trying to you know figure out novel ways of increasing workforce. So those are some things that come to the top of my head, but I'm sure if we keep going, I could list about a million others. Well, get get the book deal for the full process thing, right? Yes. <laughs> I love it. Well, I, I I think that that makes a lot of sense, again, when you kind of like zoom out and think about how public health can interface with all these partnerships and kind of some of the accelerated change. And it seems like that would apply to communities across Idaho. One of the specific communities or populations that we think a lot about here at CHU is rural. Can you talk a little bit about your experience in what happened with COVID-19 in the rural communities across the state and what what might be different about that? So as you pointed out, our state is mostly rural and it poses all kinds of challenges, of course, when the things that you need to provide are physical things, COVID testing, COVID vaccinations, hospitalization for people who get really sick, it's hugely challenging, and I feel so fortunate that in our state, we have seven local public health districts that cover all 44 Idaho counties, and they have really great relationships with their their counties and their rural communities. And so we were able to work with our local public health districts and and get them resources that then they could redeploy out locally. And we work with other vendors as well. We had you know, we were able to offer, just as, as one example, offer money for kind of novel ways of getting vaccine out in communities or people who were, weren't able to leave their homes. So we had several vendors that did mobile vaccine units that went into communities and held you know, special vaccination 
offerings or fairs. We work with pharmacies across the entire state because that might be kind of one of the only healthcare providers that's in a community and, you know, and they're trying to figure out their new way of doing business. So I guess we just, we, we looked at every opportunity we could to get resources out as local as we could. And we had to do that through partnership with our local health districts and other community partners, of course, especially in the very early days of the pandemic, when we were at the time, if you remember, it was all about how do we get personal protective equipment out to people? How do we get masks out? How do we get, we're looking at, you know, ventilators and there weren't enough ventilators in the communities. And how do we help support any transportation needs that people may have and EMS support and all of that? And, and so we had massive teams between different agencies, not necessarily my own, you know, personal staffing teams, but you know, partnership with our Idaho Office of Emergency Management, in addition to the health districts, to to really think about how do how do we physically move products and things to how do we set up resources in local communities that to help them and create these environments on their own, if that makes sense. But it is significantly challenging, and some of our others are my peers in other states. You know, they could do those mass vaccination clinics and you were hearing about them in the news all the time at first. And some of the bigger cities, they could get, you know, hundreds of thousands of people to run through a mass vax clinic. And we couldn't set one of those up in the same way. And then there's actually pressure for us to do that kind of from a federal perspective that you need to set these up. It's like, well, that's not really the best model for our state because we need to be where the people are. And sometimes even putting a clinic, a vaccine clinic in a community, you might have to do extra things as well to support them because they might have a little bit of mistrust or not understand or need an extra handful. And I'll give one example or a concrete example of that is we had a vaccine vendor, a contractor that was doing some local community work and their primary population they're working with was Hispanic Latino population. And they would set up a, a location that was kind of within the path of where people were moving. But I think it was, I want to say it was even near some grocery outlets or not, not the actual store, but where people were getting groceries. And then they were actually finding someone who's a trusted resource who spoke Spanish that would literally go door to door and recruit people to come to the clinics. And then knowing that what was also helpful with that is that when people did get to the clinic, then there's a lot of word of mouth that then got more family members and friends coming into the clinic. And while they were there, they were able to do things like distribute food boxes and make appointments for other things and just in general engage with their, that population to help support them in other ways. And we have examples of that that happen across the whole state. I love that. So what I'm hearing is it's really driven by a lot more kind of relationship building as opposed to just this existing yes. infrastructure where you can like kind of drop the playbook in and say, OK, go deploy. It's more about like, who do we know? How can we connect? What local resources can we use? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's great. And I think it really resonates for a lot of what we do here at CHU is that it, you need to start with relationship and trust. And so I, I think, you know, when we talk about a lot of these partnerships, I, I love it when I hear that that's what's driving a lot of impact, particularly in rural communities. One last question for you, Elke. You know, you mentioned workforce as being really top of brain for you right now. 
as again, kind of come come back up for breath after the public health emergency declaration, knowing that there's still a lot of maintenance work and support work around COVID-19. But if you had to pick a couple of additional topics, issues, populations that are also kind of at the top of your list, what's, what are you thinking about a lot in the state in terms of areas of focus? Yeah, outside of COVID and and that type of response activity, you know, I, one of the things I really want to get back to are some of my passion projects, if you will. We have been working on an initiative for quite some time now. It's part of our public health accreditation work. And part of that is the state health improvement plan. And we have something called Get Healthy Idaho. And that work is really focused on sort of place-based work and helping to support communities be healthier and provide healthier environments that make sense for them. And so how can we fund that work? How can we provide the data that directs us to those communities and helps even support the communities, not only use the funding that we can bring forward, but also maybe apply for additional funding through other mechanisms. We currently fund two different communities. At this time, we have Elmore County is being funded and Bannock County is being funded through braided and layering funding. And they are working on some of their own local initiatives. But at the, at the highest level, Get Healthy Idaho is focused on some kind of primary topics that, that you would expect. So there are things like obesity, diabetes, unintentional injuries, one of the unintentional injuries, so hold in behavioral health as another aspect of that as well, specifically when I address suicide prevention. So those are some of the, the major topics that are data-driven that we want to keep moving forward on, that we were just starting to really make some traction and some, mem- some momentum before the pandemic started. And that's work that I'm very passionate about and looking at things like you know social determinants of health, things that influence people's opportunities to lead healthier lives and communities. So that's kind of the, the core public health work that I would like to do get back to. We never dropped it. I mean, our program still continued on, but I think the the more opportunities we can have to create healthy environments so it's easier for people to be healthy in their communities, the better off we'll be in the long term. So that's what I I hope that kind of through these partnerships of the the resiliency that we've seen in communities, the propping each other up that we've seen in communities will benefit us as we try to take this forward. It's like, yeah, we need we need to really be there to support each other. And so we can be our healthiest selves. I think that's fantastic and really kind of brings us back to, you know, you can't can't overstate this challenging time through COVID, but then also what can we do to build build back that base? What can we do to learn? What can we do to apply this to other communities or other topics. So I love that. And for what it's worth, I do have the Get Healthy Idaho website bookmarked because I use it all the time (laughs) as we go through and look at key issues in the state. So thank you for supporting that resource. Use it every day. And I hope you saw we have a new resource within it, our index that's part of it that gets down to census tract data. Awesome. Well, we will definitely plug in the show notes so that everybody listening has access as well. Well, I I just want to thank you so much for your time and thank you for the amazing leadership and work that you do in the state. And hopefully we get a chance to talk with you again soon about some of the other projects that are happening within public health. Great. Well, I would love to talk more about what we do besides just COVID. It's 
we're done talking. <laughs> we need a break from talking about it. But <laughs> love to talk. But I would still any any conversation you want to have, I'd be happy to do it. All right. Well, I I hear it. It's official. Elkie has laid down that there will be no more COVID interviews. <laughs> no, no, I I understand. But I'd love to get back and you know some of the stuff that we want to focus on here at Who, whether it's. HIV, maternal health, some of the telehealth initiatives. We just really value that partnership support and, you know, leadership at the state. So we'll we'll definitely be back to talk about some of those those other topics. Great. Looking forward to it. All right, everyone. That's the end of our episode. Thanks again for joining us this week. Another gentle reminder to please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And as always, please remember to give each other a little bit of life support. Hey everyone, I'm Anthony Leon, editor and producer for Life Support. I'm here to announce we will be taking a short summer break, so be sure to follow us here. Turn on your notifications and follow us on our socials at Cornerstone Whole Health. Catch any updates.